0: So uh, this is the time of year, yesterday was a uh, rivalry Saturday in college football. Uh, this is the time of year where you're either sulking and you're upset or you're you're really fired up. Um, my favorite part about watching college football is at the beginning of the day, uh, they have these guys that will make their predictions. They will, will pick, this is who I think is going to win the games and this is why. And then there's Lee Corso in his headgear, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so... Uh, all throughout the day, I'm I'm watching. They're making these predictions. Did it come right? Did the team win? Was it Was it an upset? Uh, we love predictions. We love to to try to figure out what's going to happen in the future. Uh, when I lived in uh, New Orleans, uh, it was very common for us to uh, uh, walk down Bourbon Street doing ministry. Of course, uh, walk down Bourbon Street and and they would see people these people set up with card tables and they were uh, trying to tell your fortune and uh, they would use tarot cards, or they could read your palm, and and it was a big business for them, and they were, they would sit on the, sit on the side of the road, and they would just you know, just ask if you were walking by. They say, do you want me to tell you what your fortune is? I, I can predict the future. And I always thought that was weird because I was like, man, if you could predict the future, would you really be out here on Bourbon Street with a card table? Like, you would think you would find a better use for that somehow, some way. Uh, I stopped at one, and they were like, I sat down there, like, what is your name? I'm like, you tell me what my name is. Like, you're supposed to be able to, like, if you don't even know what my name is, can you tell the future? Um... I was eating at a Chinese food restaurant the other day. Even the Chinese food restaurants are getting in on this. Uh, they give you a fortune cookie at the end. You crack it open. It's usually something terrible, like something that doesn't even like doesn't even make sense. Uh, but they want to tell you, this is what you're going to happen in your future. These are your lucky numbers. This is the future. This is your future. This is your fortune. I want to, I want to be able to, to tell you that. Um, uh, recently, I read online the uh, top predictions, top worst predictions of all time, people trying to predict the future and how horribly wrong they got it. So I wanted to share some with you. The first one is from a guy named uh, Ferdinand Folk. He, is, uh, he, he mentioned this line right here. He said, uh, airplanes are interesting toys but they are of no military value. Which sounds interesting, but unfortunately he was the uh, World War I commander for the French army. And uh, that, didn't, that didn't end too well for them. Here's the second one I found. Um, this was advice uh, from Horace Ranker, who was a, a banker. It says this, The horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty. It's a fad. Unfortunately, he was a lawyer to Henry Ford, and he was advising other people, do not invest in the Ford Motor Company. These cars are never going to last. There was a story of one guy that chose on this day to invest $5,000, didn't listen to the lawyer or the banker. $5,000 investment in the Ford Motor Company turned into $12.5 million just 15 years later. Terrible predictor of the future. Here's another one. Uh, David Lloyd, British Prime Minister, 1934, he said, Believe me, Germany is unable to wage war. Only a month later, Nazi Germany, led by Hitler, took over their first country. And uh, it turned out to not be good. Um, Here's another one. Check this out. Uh, Everything that can be invented has been invented. Now, you would think, like, a lot of things get invented nowadays, but unfortunately, this was said by Charles Duell, who was the U.S. Commissioner on Patents, in 1899. 1899, he says, nothing el- there, there, it is impossible for anything else to be invented. We have invented everything that we could possibly imagine. Harry Warner said this. He was the president of Warner Brothers Studios in 1927. Who wants to hear actors talk? Someone walked into his office in the, the, the world of silent movies. It was just silent movies. And they said, what if we got actors to memorize lines? And what if they spoke them instead of just having music and the people acting in black and white. Black and white, and this, this guy from Warner Brothers says, it will never happen. No one wants to hear people talk. That's not why people go to the movies. Kenneth Olson was the president and founder of Digital Equipment Corporation, uh, that Name probably sounds familiar. That company, uh, Digital Equipment Corporation, in 1977, he said this quote: "There is no reason for an individual to have a computer in their home." That's probably why you have never heard of Digital Equipment Corporation, because now we have like computers in our pockets. Now, but he was convinced. That's just. That, that, really, that really doesn't matter. Uh, Joseph uh, Daniels was a former U.S. Secretary of the Navy. He says, No one fears that a Japanese fleet could deal an unexpected blow on our Pacific possessions. Radio makes surprise impossible. This was said about 35 days before the Japanese turned all of their radios off, flew over the Pacific Ocean, and bombed Pearl Harbor. He, uh, he got that one wrong. William Orton was a president of Western Union. He said this, what use could this company make of an electric toy? He actually said this in response when Alexander Graham Bell walked into his office and wanted him to sell something called the telephone to you. He said, man, this is just a toy. No one, this is never gonna catch on. No one is I don't have time to mess with your with your toys. You you just need to go ahead and leave. Popular Mechanics Magazine in 1949. Predicted computers of the future could possibly only weigh one and a half tons, which would be a huge improvement. Television, the next one. Television won't be able to hold any market it captures after the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. The CEO of 20th Century Fox said that in 1949. That turned out not to be true. Here's my favorite one We don't like your sounds. Groups of guitars are on their way out. This is what the CEO of Decca Records said in 1962. He actually typed that out in a rejection letter to a band called The Beatles. Bad, bad financial move. There, we love trying to make predictions. We love to try to tell the future. We like to try to guess what's going to happen. It's impossible, really, to know what the future holds and what's going on. But I want to tell you something uh, this morning that I can guarantee, hundred percent. You rarely get that when you have people that predict the future and tell you what is coming down into your life. But I can, I can tell you, every person in this room, this is your future. Every person listening to the message on online. Here's what I know. Sometime in your life the wheels are gonna fall off. Sometime in your life, you will be faced with pain. You will be faced with death, loss, grief, hurt. Sometime everything will go wrong and you will feel like quitting. Guarantee it. I guarantee that's your future. Some of that is coming. Maybe you walked in the doors and that's where you're at right now. Like you're ready to just throw in the towel. Maybe it's. Something you're going through physically, uh, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, maybe professionally. You got, you're in a dead end job or don't want a job or you're trying to find a job or trying to get a, a different job, whatever that, whatever that is. And sometimes we reach that point in our life where it becomes so hard, so difficult, so overwhelming, we just, we just want to quit. We just want to throw in the towel. Sometimes people want to quit on their marriage. It's just bad, it's hard. I've tried difficulty. Sometimes you want to quit your job. Sometimes you want to give up on life. Just stop caring altogether. I'm tired of of being burdened by it. I'm tired of having to deal with it and and process it. Every time something goes wrong, we we feel like quitting. We even can get to that point and reach that point in our spiritual life. You ever felt like you wanted to quit on God? You ever felt like you wanted to quit on your faith, just just walk away from it altogether? Just, just say, you know what, God? I've, I've prayed. I've thought about it. I've tried. I've, 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 I've done everything I know to do, and so I'm, I'm done. Maybe this just doesn't work. That's what happens when we face hardships in our life. Does that sound familiar? And maybe you're dealing with that this morning. Maybe that's. You walking into the door, family, friends, relationships, finances, your job, your, your spiritual life. There are seasons like this I've learned in my life. Seasons where everything's going great and then seasons where I'm really struggling and I'm, I'm searching and I'm, I'm hurting and I'm, I'm looking for answers. It's time for me to do some, some soul searching in various ways. So here's the question for this morning. What happens when things don't go as planned? What happens when things don't go as expected? What what, what happens when, here's where it's really hard. What happens when you did everything you were supposed to do and you still fail? What happens when you do everything that God told you to do? When you're walking in obedience, like when you know like my life is spent honoring God and and following God, I know God, I, I heard what you said and I did exactly what you called me to do? What happens when we reach that point, but the wheels still fall off? That life is still difficult? What happens when you did everything you were supposed to do and obeyed God, but it still doesn't work out? You still feel pain and struggle and heartache. You still deal with death, loss, and grief in your life. What do, you do? what do you do? What do you do when you feel like quitting? Can we do that? Like you ever had days where you're just like, I'm done. I just want to quit. I just want to walk away. I want to I run away and leave all this behind. Can we do that as followers of Jesus? Paul knew that this church in Corinth was a pretty messed up church. I mean, this was pretty beat up. There were times where they felt pressure from the outside or even things happened on the inside. And there were times where he knew that they were just they were ready to throw in the towel. They were ready to stop. They were ready to, to turn around. They were ready to say, man, maybe this, maybe this following Jesus thing really isn't worth it. Man, I, man, I thought this was going to be a good life. I thought this was supposed to be the perfect life. I thought I wasn't going to have problems anymore. And so Paul, right at the end of the book, kind of does some housekeeping in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. And, and he says, man, I, w- I want to share with you guys what, what happens when you face challenges. I, w- I want to share with you what happens when even when you do everything that the book says even when you follow Jesus to the t what happens when your world falls apart and paul's going to share with us some challenges that that, that this church in corinth faces and crazy that you and I face these same exact challenges and then he's going to leave us with, with some commands, some things. that Man, what happens when this happens in your life? And he, and he shares a few things with us. So I want to, I want to start in verse 5. Read, read a couple of verses here and I want to share with you, if you're jotting notes down, five challenges that you and I will face. Five challenges that will make you want to quit. And then how we can respond to that. Here's, here's what Paul says. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you For I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on the journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. He's wrapping up this letter to the Corinthians. Obviously, he wants to see them. And kind of, we, he, he, Paul here, he kind of opens up his planner, right? He opens up his, his schedule and he's looking about some things. And, and here's the first challenge that Paul makes pretty obvious in this text that you and I face constantly every day. The, the first challenge is this uncertainty. What happens in our lives when we face uncertainty? Especially as followers of, of Jesus, right? Is that supposed to happen? Are we supposed to be uncertain? Are there supposed to be things that, that aren't promised and aren't known to us? Like, what, what, what's the deal? A recent study of Americans asked what the top fear in life is. And as I looked at this, I said, like, spiders, uh, scared of heights, uh, scared of dying. What is it? What is it? And so I, I'm scrolling through this article put out by this research team, and finally I get to number one. And the, the number one fear of Americans in the world today is uncertainty over the future. People are scared because they don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen financially or in my job or in my marriage or in my life, or I, like I, there's no, I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. There's nothing that I know. Number one fear that Americans face is uncertainty. But here's what I want to remind you as followers of Jesus. Uncertainty is normal when you're following Jesus. Right? Uncertainty is normal when you're following Jesus. If you make a decision today to follow Jesus, don't think that the norm is going to be you're going to know every step of the way, you're going to know everything that happens way down the road, like there will be zero uncertainty about your life or your marriage or your finances or your job or your relationships. Like Once we make this decision, everything will be crystal clear for the rest of our lives. That's just not what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's never promised. I mean, look at these words that, that Paul says. If you think anybody would be clear about the future, it's Paul, right? Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament, radically changed by Jesus, really walking in his relationship with God. Look, look at the words that we see uh, throughout these verses. He says, perhaps... I will stay with you. I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to be there. I don't know how long I'm going to be there. I don't know when I'm going to stay. Perhaps I will be there or even spend the winter. Shoot, I don't even have plans for the winter. The winter's coming and I don't know where I'm going to stay. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to be. And I don't have a hotel reservation like God hasn't shown me where I'm going to be and how long I'm going to be there. Perhaps I'll spend the winter so that you can help me out. Listen to this. I want you to help me out on my journey wherever I go. Yeah, doesn't he have his trip planned out? Like we're worried about the next step in our life, and Paul doesn't even know like what he's doing in a week from now. Wherever I go, I could be here in Corinth, I could be in Ephesus, I could be in Philippi, I could be dead, could be in jail, could be getting a beaten. I don't know. Like wherever wherever I go, for I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope, I hope to spend some time with you. I don't know. I don't know how long I'll be here. I hope one day I'll be able to visit. Maybe God doesn't allow me to visit you in person again. I, I don't know. I, I hope that, 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 that maybe I can do that, and I want to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Think about how much uncertainty that is. I mean, this God doesn't even know what he's doing tomorrow. He doesn't know, he doesn't know where he's going to stay. He doesn't know what he's going to eat. He doesn't know if he'll have a job. He doesn't know what church he'll be at. Like, this is not, God has not promised him any certainty in his life. And that's one of the things that we struggle with oftentimes. We struggle with financial uncertainty. Man, a health scare. You're you're one doctor's visit away from having uncertainty about you or maybe your parents or a family member. Man, you're you're one phone call away from your whole future being uncertain with your health, with your finances. I mean, the stock market could correct tomorrow tomorrow. Your retirement could drastically alter. Your savings account could, could, could be really messed up. Man. You're one phone call away, one bill away, one car from breaking down to your financial future just being like uncertain. Here's what I know, though, from following God. Walking with God does not mean that you know what the future holds. Walking with God assures you that your future is in His hands. And when your future is in His hands, then you can trust Him. You can know. I don't know what it holds, but that's okay. God does. God knows the plan. So in, in the face of uncertainty, remember who holds your future. It's just one of the things that, that we will face. He continues another problem that he faces in verse 8. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me there. Check this out. And there are many who oppose me. There are many who oppose Paul. The second thing that we're going to face in our life, you're in it right now. If not, it's coming probably tomorrow. You will face opposition. You'll face opposition in your life. You'll face it at your work. You'll face it at your home. You'll face it in your relationships, wherever you live, work, play, eat, study, and shop. You'll face it in your finances. You'll face it in big decisions. Maybe you'll face it within your family. Maybe it's outside of your family. But even Paul, even Stud, Paul, here following loving Jesus, faced opposition in his life. Paul stayed in Ephesus for three years, and we find out that, that the reason why is like he's killing it, right? He's like, there is such. Great doors being opened up for me here. He's in Ephesus writing this letter to the church in, in Corinth. And he said, man, so many great things have happened here. And I've got so many opportunities. Life change is happening on, a, on the regular where I'm at right now. And then he, he threw it like, sounds great, right? Yes, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's just great opportunities and cool things happening in our lives. And, and then he throws that in and he's like, yeah, and there's like a bunch of people here that hate me. Like nobody wants to see this happen. I'm facing all kinds of opposition. And what does opposition do? What does opposition in your life do? beats you down. It tells you you're not good enough. It tells you you're not going to make it. It discourages you. It tries to distract you and push you in a, a different direction. It tries to make you quit. It tries to make you lose your focus on what you're really here for. And those are all things that Paul acknowledges. He says there's a ton of people here that don't want to see me take my next steps, that don't want to see my life flourish for the sake of the gospel. He said, but i got to stay focused, man. i got to, I got to focus on what God's called me to do because there's so much opportunity here. Sometimes we believe, we trick ourselves into thinking that opposition and opportunity cannot exist in the same world. Right? Anytime we face opposition, we think, oh, well, this, this must be God closing the door. Well, this must be God's sign that I'm doing the wrong thing. Oh, well, th- this must mean that I took a wrong turn. I was supposed to turn right, but I turned left. And, and, and we're, So we're convinced that if things are going bad, then it's time for us to blow it up and start over. But Paul, in the same sentence, he says, life changed through Jesus. Incredible ministry. And people hate me here. There's so much opposition. It is so hard, what I'm doing right now. But, but we're seeing some great things. We're seeing some, some great things. So remind yourself, so many times we face opposition, we're ready to throw in the towel. We're ready to say, this is not for me. I'm not doing. Maybe I made a mistake. I'm not doing the right thing. I don't, I don't know what this is all about. Opposition often accompanies opportunity. And so look beyond that. Try to figure out how to deal that, because you're going to face that. You are going to face opposition in your life verse 10 When Timothy comes see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am no one then should treat him with contempt send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me i am expecting him along with his brothers second third third area in our life we all do this happens at home happens at work happens at church happens in your family Maybe in your marriage or with your kids or with your friends, the third opposition, the third problem, the third challenge that we will face is uh, relationship struggles. Relationship struggles. Sometimes, uh, even as Christians, man, even as followers of Jesus, we think, well, as soon as I give my life to Jesus, like my marriage is going to turn around. It's going to be the perfect marriage. It's going to be the perfect marriage. As soon as I get my kids in church and start following Jesus, they're gonna turn around. Like, they're hellions now. They, they're so bad. But, like, like, God's gonna honor. God's gonna hook me up, man. If I'm obeying Him, if I'm doing the right things, then, like, I'm not gonna have any struggles at home. My home life's gonna be perfect. I'm gonna make the right decisions at work. I'm not gonna cheat, I'm not gonna take shortcuts. I'm gonna have high character, and everybody in the office is gonna love me. Every, no one's gonna try to tear me down. No one's going to try to step on me on their way up. No one's going to try to take advantage of me in the workplace. I'm a good person, right? I'm trying to live a good Christian life. I'm trying to be Jesus in the workplace to so many people. I'm not going to have any relationship struggles. Man, Paul has to go out on a limb here and say, listen, man, I'm, I'm bringing a guy. Timothy, he's coming. He's, Timothy was actually the one that delivered the letter to the church in Corinth. And Paul has to remind him, hey, d- don't, don't treat him bad. Like, I know it's not me, I know it's not, I know it's not Paul in flesh, but hey, you need to make sure you take care of Timothy. You need to make sure you love on him, you need to make sure you, you honor him. And like, don't, don't, don't cast him out, don't treat him as some second-rate person inside the church. I know he's not one of you, I know he's not from here, I know he's not a core member of your clique or your team, but this is a good dude. And even sending a pastor in, they have to remind the church, hey, you're going to have relationship struggles. You're going to have problems. You're going to face different things. And so I want to warn you against that. Verse 12. How about now about our brother Apollos? I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. How would you like to hear that as a church? Like, hey, man, I tried to convince a friend of mine to come see y'all, but he don't like y'all. And so, uh, like, I'm still working on him. He really doesn't want to be here. He doesn't like you. He doesn't like the church. He doesn't like the city. He doesn't like anything like that. And so we're kind of having a, a spirited uh, conversation right now, but hopefully one day he'll come. Here's the, the fourth problem, the challenge that you and I face is, uh, in our life's disagreements. Disagreements. This was one of Paul's right-hand men. Like Apollos, man, he was a good guy. And Paul shared, I want you to go to this city and I want you to love on these people. And he says, no, I'm not going. I don't don't like that. I don't want to do that. I don't care about those people. I don't know when the last time you've had a disagreement. It was probably this weekend when your in-laws were in town for Thanksgiving. Disagree in your marriage sometimes. You disagree with finances. You disagree with people at work. You disagree with your job. These are things that we have to face. We disagree about things inside the church, outside the church. Like we are not exempt from it. And Paul says, Man, how are you going to handle it? What's going to happen when you reach, when a, when a good buddy of your mind betrays you? When you disagree, when you don't see on common ground and you have to work? Are you going to throw in the towel? Are you going to walk away? I thought it was all supposed to be smooth. So Paul lists out these four questions. Man, you and I are going to face these. These are things that, that we're going through in our life. What are we going to do? Are you going to quit? Are you going to throw the towel on whatever area that relationship is? Here's, here's how Paul responds to it. The first one is this. You want to know how to respond. You want to know how to overcome challenge, not turn your back on your faith, not throw in the towel, not be a quitter when you face those situations. The first thing, I think we've already, we've already read it. If you're, not, if you're going to be firm in your faith, it's going to take a team effort to do it. This is why we're so big on community groups, our groups here at at, at Revo. Here's what Paul says in these last two verses. Paul says, you know how we're going to be effective? I've got two buddies on my ministry team. I've got Timothy and I've got Apollos, two friends that help me, two friends that are partners in the ministry with me, two friends that we do life together, we encourage one another, we build each other up, we do things for one another. There are times when you're going to feel like quitting in your life, in your marriage. In your relationship with Jesus, and you need people to come around you and say, "Hey, remember what matters. We, you can get through this. I want to encourage you. I want to help you. I want to build you up. I want to, I want to come alongside you and offer some kind of support role. See, you and I were not created to do life alone. We were created to be on a team. Christianity is is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. And so even Paul makes this observation. These are my people, right? This is my squad. Hashtag squad. These are my people that I'm with. I love these guys. They've helped me so much. They've encouraged me. If you do a little history on Paul, Paul's got a crazy life, man. Thrown in and out of jail, beaten to the point of where he almost died. Then he was transferred to jail, got put on a ship, the ship wrecked. He survived the shipwreck by swimming to an island. The island was covered in snakes. He got bit by a snake, finally rescued, right? This is God's man, right? Finally rescued by a boat that brought him to Rome and put him in jail, ultimately where he lost his life. He knows what it means to face opposition. He says we're not made to do this alone. So if you, if you want to have long faith, if you want to make sure you don't turn your back on it, you've got to find some community. you got to find some people to walk with. The people that will pick you up when you're down, that will correct you when you're off course, and they will push you to be the man or the woman that God has ultimately called you to be. Find a team. Get on a team. Verse 13, he keeps going, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. And be strong. Finally, in verse 14, he says, do everything in love. Let me run down that list. Be on your guard. He starts out by being on your guard. Quick story. Uh, the, the, the most famous magician and illusionist of all time, Harry Houdini. Uh, he uh, had some really cool tricks. Uh, one of them was he would get put in a straight jacket, and his arms and legs would be uh, shackled together. He'd be tied up. And they would throw him in a... Uh, 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 Like with some bunch of weights tied around him, they'd throw him on the like just throw him overboard in the ocean, and he had about two minutes to get out of it. He had his most famous trick was called Chinese water torture, where he was uh, shackled in his hands and his legs, wrapped in a straight jacket, and then he was lowered upside down into a crate that was filled with water. The uh, person on the outside, his uh, assistant, was instructed, if he's not out in two minutes, you need to break the glass because, uh, and let the water come out because there's no way he can survive after two minutes. And About 45 seconds into the trick, Harry Houdini pops up out of it. But here was one of his most uh, interesting live performances. He would stand up on a stage where he was doing an illusionist trick, and he would look out into the audience and he'd say, I want the biggest person in here, the strongest, biggest man in the whole room, I want you to come up on stage. And this small, short, little illusionist would say to the, to the biggest guy in the audience, he'd bring him up on stage, live audience and he'd say, I want you to punch me as hard as you can. As hard as you can hit me, I want you to hit me. and You can use anything you want to, a prop or your fist or a board or whatever you want to do. And and part of his trick was anybody could punch him as hard as they wanted to and he, he was so his, his core was so tight he, he He could withstand a blow from anyone. Well, here's what happened one day. A college student came up to him after a show where he was shaking hands at the front of the stage, came up and punched him as hard as he could in the stomach. He wasn't ready. It ruptured his spleen, and he died. Couldn't get to the hospital Have died of internal bleeding. The picture is, When he was on stage facing the opposition, he was ready. He was on his guard. He was tensed up. He had his body in the right motion. He was was completely ready for anything. You throw anything at me and I'm ready for it. But off stage, he let down his guard. He wasn't prepared and he got punched in the stomach and died. (laughs) There, There are times in my life where I feel like I'm getting punched in the stomach where I'm feeling like man life is going great right now I'm doing well I'm on my guard I'm thriving marriage is good finance is good life is good and then all of a sudden life's like I'll show you and if we let our guard down then we'll fall if we let our guard down then it'll knock the wind out of us we'll get discouraged we'll get hurt we'll get broken hearted we'll slip up and fall Paul says please be on your guard don't be surprised Always have your guard up. Know that life is coming at you fast. Know that you're going to face discouragement. If you're not ready for difficult days, then here's what happens. We often get hit with these difficult things, and we end up throwing the towel in. We lose our faith. We walk away from it all because we didn't have our guard up. Next he says, stand firm. Be on your guard and stand firm. When things get hard, don't turn your back on God. So that's what happens sometimes when, when life gets difficult. At that moment where we're getting the waves continue to crash, it's bad thing after bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. Is seeing those are the times when we want to walk away. Not when the times are good. But when we face difficulty and hardship time after time after time, and Paul says, please stand firm. So many people walk away from their faith, not because one thing happens or two things happen, but over time, wave after wave after wave hits, wears them down, and, and they end up falling. We just got to admit there are going to be some hard seasons in our life where I know we want to make some progress. Like here at Revo, we're all about moving forward. But there are some times when you face obstacles in your life where you, you just need to just stand firm. Like not, not taking a step forward. You just need to not fall. You need to not get knocked over, not take a step backwards. And so Paul acknowledges, I get that, man. Sometimes life's going to be hard. And I know you want to charge and you want to make progress and you want to you take the next step, but sometimes you just got to keep your feet planted and stand firm. That may be a season that you find yourself in right now. Last uh, third thing, be courageous don't lose courage i know sometimes when we face opposition we lose courage we we, we lose our drive we we, we lose all ability to to, to to desire what god has for us and paul says man just stay stay firm show some courage sometimes it's hard to do the right thing be strong show courage and be strong there are times in our life where it's easy to do the wrong thing it's easy to take a shortcut it's easy to take things into our own hands. Forget you, God, I'm gonna do it my way, and this is what we're gonna do. But he says, stand strong. Finally he says, do everything in love. That's just like Paul, right? It's like, what's your heart behind it? As you deal with difficult people, as you get frustrated, as you face hardship, as 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 life sucker punches you in the gut, do everything in love. Face everyone in love. Speak everything in love. Have an attitude of love. As I was uh, driving home for Thanksgiving, I went to go visit my parents, and um, girls are asleep in the car, and I'm driving, and here's what I've learned about your walk with Jesus, about my walk with Jesus, and how we sometimes get off track. Very rarely does our life crash and burn in our relationship with Jesus by taking a, a sharp turn. It, it, very rarely is it just one thing that happens that we look back and say, wow, I, I can't believe I took that one, that one turn. Here's what happens. It's a gradual swerve, a gradual lean in our lives, and then eventually we lean and lean and lean, and one day you look back and you realize you're way off course. We're driving home for Thanksgiving, and they have these little, I, I think they're called like rumble strips on the side of the road, you know what I'm talking about? Like when your tire hits, it's like, nah. so what that is, is this designed to help drivers know, hey, if your car goes a little bit too far this way, hey, just a heads up. You're going off course here. Sometimes I hit that on purpose when the girls are sleeping, just to let them know, I got it, I'm still in control. If you go a little bit to the left, your car starts hitting those those little reflectors in the middle of the road, and it's like you're driving, like using braille or something. Elizabeth thinks I'm like driving by braille and it's like do doot do doot do 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 doot. And so I okay, need to come back over. See, I think what Paul is leaving in the letter is he's leaving some guardrails. He says, hey, I'm not expecting you to take a U-turn. I know you're not just getting ready to veer off the road and and, and do something crazy, but here's what happens in our life. It's gradual. Very slowly we make a turn. One thing makes us get off course. And Paul says, I hope these things will act as as the guardrails, as the, the rumble strip for your life. So that when you face that opposition and you feel like veering off, that you have these things to put into place that that grab your attention. Say, hey, focus on what matters. Be strong, be courageous, do everything in love, stand firm, and be on your guard. And that's how you and I will be able to face opposition in our lives today and continue to grow in our faith as a result of it.